his heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. There are experiences in life that teach you vital truths, landmark lessons that you never forget. One such incident happened to me several years ago. The Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain Christmas party was on the horizon. And Kathy was thrilled that I had promised her a brand new outfit for the big shindig. We loaded the kids in the van, headed to the department store to purchase new threads for mom. Kathy began the evening with a promise. She ended it with the fulfillment of that promise. But in the meantime, some strange, bizarre events occurred. At the time, my second son, Nick, was just a few years old, and he was in the process of being potty trained. Well, while his mom was combing through the racks looking for clothes, I whiffed an atrocious smell. There was no mistake in the aroma. My son had pooped in his britches. Well, mom was engrossed in major fashion decisions, so with Nick in tow, I set out for the van so I could clean him up. Well, as we walked down the aisle to the exit, I noticed that my toddler was walking in a peculiar manner, sort of like John Wayne, like he'd been in the saddle for several days. (laughs) Suddenly, two clumps of you-know-what slid down his pants leg and plopped out onto the floor. It looked sort of like this. When I saw it, I just groaned. My first reaction was to clean it up, but I had no rag. So I did what any conscientious dead would do. I just kept walking. I had no choice. We just kept right on walking. We were hustling out the door as fast as we could go when my son stops right in the middle of the traffic and he shouts, Dad, I think I got something in my boot. Well, trust me, we didn't stop to find out what that something was. I picked him up and we raced out to the van. Well, after changing my son's diaper, we re-entered the store with some paper towels, you know, to sort of shovel up the mess. I was glad to see that no one had stepped in Nick's deposit. By this time, Kathy had purchased her a new outfit and was ready to leave. A promise had been made and that promise had been fulfilled. But in the meantime... I had to deal with some distressing circumstances. And when you think about it, isn't this the story of our lives? All of life is lived in the meantime, between the giving of a promise and the keeping of that promise. Our here and now, this earthly life, is the meantime. It's the in-between time. Life is the interval between a promise given and a promise fulfilled. Jesus has excited us with staggering promises. The church, his bride, has the promise of an inheritance, much of which is still future. One day we'll walk streets of gold. We'll be clothed 
in robes of righteousness. For all eternity, we'll get second helpings of things for which we're now famished. Romans 8 verse 17 calls us joint heirs with Jesus. Chew on that for a while. In Christ, all God's wealth and wonders are in our name. But a significant portion of our inheritance is waiting for a future date. When the Calvary Chapel Christmas party rolled around, and I saw Kath decked out in that new outfit, I thought, wow, that is one good-looking babe. My bride was so glorious, I totally forgot about that messy experience. And that's the reaction that we'll have when we finally reach the heavenly shore. The future glory that awaits every single Christian is going to overshadow today's difficulties. God makes us all promises. And God will keep His promises. Yet in the meantime, God ordains for us to walk through some messy, even poopy experiences. This world is full of sin and pain and sickness and hurt and hate and exhaustion and injustice and betrayal and despair. Life in the meantime gets hard. At times, it just plain stinks. But rest assured, God has a purpose for the messes that we're forced to endure. Here's a startling statistic for you. Did you know a child goes through 5,000 diapers by the time he or she is two years old, 5,000 diapers. Having raised four kids, that means Kathy and I have changed 20,000 smelly diapers. And trust me, her quite a few more than me. Here's my point. To grow a kid, you have to confront and clean up a lot of poop. Maturing a child is messy business. And the same is true with a child of God. Oh, we enjoy the good times when God's blessings are tangible. But we all know that we learn more from the difficulties and trials and persecutions and stresses. Here's a quote I want you to remember. Some of you have got it put to memory already. It's a genuine Sandy Adams original quote. In fact, someone even turned it into a plaque. It now hangs in my office. Here it is. It takes the manure for us to mature. And it does. It takes the manure for us to mature. One day, all our headaches, all our heartaches will be worth it. We'll have zero complaints in heaven, but in the meantime, how do you handle life's hardships? Do you take heart or do you lose heart? If anyone knew about poop, it was Paul. If it wasn't the ship under him sinking, he was being beaten and thrown into jail or run out of town, or stoned and left for dead. Yo, Paul was accustomed to one bad hair day after another. But in verse 16, Paul commands us, do not lose heart. And then he gives us three reasons why. Paul points to three different contrasts. First is the contrast between the outward man and inward man. Second, he contrasts the world's afflictions with heaven's glories. And then third is the contrast between the visible and the invisible. Now here's what Paul's telling us. Focus on these three contrasts and you'll take heart, not lose heart. The first reason Paul doesn't lose heart 
is the contrast between what's happening to him physically and what's happening to him spiritually. In verse 16, Paul observes, Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Outwardly, we're destined for decay, but inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Understand, Paul's physical body was perishing. As I mentioned, Paul endured severe trials. He was stoned once, beaten ten times, shipwrecked four times, imprisoned countless times. Bible scholars believe Paul even had a chronic and painful disease. We talked about it Sunday. He refers to it in 2 Corinthians as his thorn in the flesh. Perhaps Paul's most stressing and pressing trial was the constant concern he had for the churches under his care. Pastor Paul's parish was the entire world. And to top it all off, Paul was aging. He writes, though our outward man is perishing, and so is yours, so is mine. And that alone is enough to cause a person to lose heart. Paul's physical body was slowly deteriorating, which reminds me of a list. It's a top ten list, by the way. Here are the top ten ways you know you're getting older. Number 10, the twinkle in your eye is the sun's reflection off your bifocals. Number 9, you get cautioned to slow down by your doctor and not the police. Number 8, it takes two tries to get up from the couch. Number 7, you throw a party that the neighbors don't even realize is a party. Number 6, you happen to spot a pretty girl walking down the street and your pacemaker sets off your neighbor's garage door opener. Number five, your joints are more accurate at predicting the weather than Glenn Burns. Number four, you go to straighten the wrinkles in your socks when you remember you aren't wearing any socks. Number three, all your favorite music is in the bargain bin at Walmart. Number two, you help a little old lady across the street and you realize she's your wife. And number one, the number one way you know you're getting older, your ears are hairier than your head. In a tribute to getting older, here's a great little parody of Julie Andrews' classic. It's a takeoff from that song in The Sound of Music called My Favorite Things. Ready? Maylocks and nose drops and needles for knitting. Walkers and handrails and new dental fittings. Pacemakers, golf carts, and porches with swings. These are a few of my favorite things. Back pains, confused brains, and thicker eyeglasses. Thin bones and fractures and false teeth and glasses. And we won't mention our short shrunken frames when we remember our favorite things. And then the chorus. When the joints ache, when the hips break, when the knees go bad. I simply remember my favorite things, and then I don't feel so bad. And yet the truth is, these are not our favorite things, are they? Today's society worships youth. Nobody admires an old body. We praise the young, the sleek, the beautiful. And when we're no longer any of the above, we have a difficult time coping with our obvious mortality. You know, many folks just don't want to believe that they're not what they used to be. Some people live in outright denial until they attempt to do something that would have been normal a few years ago and they injure themselves. 
Other people search for the fountain of youth. They buy protein shakes and supplements. They sign on at the health club. During the commercial, they jot down the number for the hair club for men. I mean, we can get quite discouraged realizing that our outer man is perishing. And yet, despite the reality that persecution and trials and difficulties and just getting older occur to a person, Paul's physical health, Paul's useful vigor, though it was eroding, the apostle refused to lose heart. See, Paul knew that the outer man deteriorated, but he also knew that the inward man was being invigorated. See, day by day, even as he aged, Paul's spiritual strength was being renewed. Paul didn't get discouraged over his aging body or his chronic illness. He wasn't fearful of his own mortality, for he understood that his physical body was not the real Paul. His body was a tent, a temporary dwelling. The real person is the inner man, the person of the heart. You know, an iceberg moves slowly through the ocean against gale force winds, against tidal waves, and we wonder how. Well, the answer is that 90% of the iceberg is under the water. And I'm like the iceberg. Look at me and all you see is 10% of what I truly am. The substance lies below the surface. You can't size a person up by taking their measurements. There's more to me than what meets the eye. I might be fading physically, but I am alive spiritually. See, the growing Christian isn't grieved over his gray hair or bummed out over his aching back or devastated by his disease or even crushed by his cancer. For There is more to life than bones and muscles and kidneys and livers. Even though our outward man is getting weaker and weaker, we can take heart if we cultivate the inward person. We can grow spiritually strong. Once a little boy, he asked his grandpa, he says, Are you rotten on the inside? The man was rather shocked. Of course not. Why would you think such a thing? The little guy replied, Well, when an apple wrinkles on the outside, it means it's rotten on the inside. That might be true of apples, but not of Christians. You know, in my opinion, one of the modern world's most wonderful inventions are rechargeable batteries. You know, today when batteries fade, just plug them into the charger and they're good again for another 100 hours or so. Standard batteries, you use them and you lose them. Well, the human body is like a standard battery. We use them and then one day they're just discarded. But God made the spirit of a person, your spirit and my spirit, a rechargeable battery. Daily we can plug into God's Word and prayer, and fellowship, and worship. When we spend time with the Holy Spirit, He infuses us with fresh power and fresh energy. God's presence in our lives stimulates a spiritual current. A joy rises up inside. This is why Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He said, For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. Physical exercise is okay, it serves a purpose, but spiritual training is infinitely better. Who wants to merely exist without really living? It's been said, everyone wants to add years to their life, but Jesus wants to add life to your years. 
It's so refreshing to me to watch a saint grow older and younger at the same time. Their body may be aging, but their outlook remains youthful and optimistic. See, the only fountain of youth is fellowship with God. Well, the second reason Paul doesn't lose heart is the contrast between the afflictions of this world and the glories of heaven. He says, heaven's blessings are so heavy, they make earth's troubles seem trite. Paul puts it this way in verse 17. He says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Notice Paul refers, refers to the messes of his life. Those poopy experiences as, quote, our light affliction. Have you noticed we live in a day when light, that is L-I-T-E, is in vogue? There's light mayonnaise, light butter, light salad dressing, light ice cream no less, even light chocolate syrup. How can that be? Low calories, no cholesterol. That's the ticket these days. Modern science has learned how to process foods in a way that minimizes the threat of heart disease. And Paul had also learned a similar secret. He processed harsh, brutal, stressful trials in such a way that enabled to see his troubles as, quote, light afflictions. Paul had a faith that filtered out disappointments and reduced the spiritual cholesterol called discouragement. His spiritual digestion eliminated the attitudes that caused for spiritual heart disease, the hardening of the soul. Paul had learned that to seek a secret that enabled him to stay buzzed and excited even when others were bombed. And recall Paul's afflictions, illnesses and shipwrecks and imprisonment and torture and beatings and rejection. If Paul could call these afflictions light, then surely the afflictions we experience are that much lighter. And what was Paul's secret? What was the secret to his perspective? It consisted of two truths. One, Paul learned that earth's afflictions are, quote, but for a moment. In light of eternity, 80, 90 years is just a few ticks of the clock. And then two, he learned that our present suffering is working for us an elaborate and eternal reward. Now first, notice Paul calls his trials a momentary affliction. And yet the man suffered for a better part of 30 years. How, how, did he, how do you do that? How, how can 30 years be but for a moment? You know, we've all seen camera shots of the astronauts in zero gravity. They're floating in the space shuttle. Looks like fun, doesn't it? And watching them, we learn that what's heavy on earth, when taken out of our atmosphere, becomes light as a feather. In the heavens, heavy objects grow light. And this is what Paul did with his heavy afflictions. He tells us in Ephesians 1 verse 3 that spiritually we've been seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So whenever Paul started to feel weighted down, he just sat down with Jesus. When Paul viewed a problem from the scope of eternity, what had seemed heavy beyond belief, what was about to bury him, suddenly became nothing and trivial and light as a feather. When you see a difficulty up against eternity, 
Even a lifetime of hurt and suffering becomes just a nanosecond. Christian apologist C.S. Lewis described the whole sordid story of human history as a mere false start. Imagine a swim meet. The distant swimmers are on the starting block. It's the marathon of swimming, the 10-kilometer race. But just before the gun sounds, one of those swimmers jumps early. No big deal. It's just a false start. At the conclusion of the swim, that one man's eagerness will be a vague, distant, forgotten memory. Now think of the whole history of humanity as simply a false start. In light of the long, lengthy eternity that lies before us. You see, in light of forever 6,000 years of sin and suffering, it's just a few folks jumping into the pool a little too soon. It's a mistake. It's a bother. But after a million years of glory, it'll be a distant, forgotten memory. It's our eternal hope that makes the miseries of this world more bearable. A man was once reading his Bible when he prayed and asked God, he said, Lord, is it true that to you a thousand years is as one second? God said, yes, it's true. Then is it true that to you one million dollars is as a single penny? God said, yes, that's true too. The man replied, well, then do you think I can have a penny? God said, yeah, just a second. (laughs) See, here's the truth. The world's heavy afflictions become light when we realize that from the perspective of eternity, even a lifetime of sorrow is but for a moment. Paul's troubles were momentary, but they also worked for him a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You know, we think of our trials here on earth as intense, profound, severe experiences. But the real heaviness, friends, is heaven. Life's most profound events are not earthly afflictions, but heavenly glories. The happiness in heaven is far heavier than the sorrows on earth. After you've seen the Cascade Mountains of the Pacific Northwest, or the Colorado Rockies, it tickles me to hear someone talk about the North Georgia mountains. If a Westerner sees what we call mountains, they snicker. Compared to Mount Rainier, Georgia mountains are anthills. And likewise, your problems might seem massive to you now. In your mind, nothing could be more intense than your current struggle. Yet if you could just get a glimpse of the treasures and pleasures of heaven... If you could just savor one sip of the joy that one day you'll guzzle. You see, once you realize the intensity of the delight that awaits us in heaven, suddenly the trials we currently call mountains won't be mountains after all. The wonders and glories of our heavenly experience will make the trials of this earth seem like mere speed bumps. In his science fiction space adventure, Paralandra, C.S. Lewis wondered what it would be like for a human to taste a fruit in a perfect, unfallen world. In his story, an earthling gets transported to a planet unsoiled by sin. He finds a cluster of unfallen fruit. And I love how Lewis describes his reaction to its taste. He had come to a part of the wood where great globes of yellow fruit hung from the trees. He picked one. And he turned it over and over. 
By accident, his finger punctured it and went through into coldness. After a moment's hesitation, he put the little slit to his lips. He had to extract the smallest experimental sip, but the first taste put his caution all to flight. It was so different from every other taste, like the discovery of a totally new genus of pleasure, unheard of among men. It dawned on him that for one drink of this on earth, wars would be fought and nations betrayed. I believe that heaven's simplest pleasures will produce an ecstasy unheard of on earth. We'll need our glorified bodies just to handle all of the heavenly highs. Heaven will be so sweet that just a single second there will more than make up for a lifetime of suffering here on this earth. No matter what you've suffered in this life, your first second in heaven will wipe away all of the pain. People often ask, if God is so good, why does he allow so much suffering and pain in our world? Couldn't he stop it if he wanted? And most certainly he could. But unlike our shallow priorities, God concerns his concern for us stretch far beyond tomorrow. God cares about our welfare for all eternity. Rather than pad our tomorrows with comfort, He wants to maximize our eternal experience. Heaven is forever, and He wants that forever experience to provide for us optimum enjoyment. Realize one of the problems with human beings is that we often lack an appreciation for what's good and pleasant and best until we first have tasted the opposite. I've heard it put this way. The only way to truly love something is to first be without it. Human nature, for what it is, takes for granted the richest blessings until they're gone, until they're out of reach. We appreciate what we now miss. I have actually heard people complain about living in Hawaii. I've heard them gripe about living in the islands. Imagine, I suppose it's really hard Living in a tropical paradise all year round. But here's the human reality. Native Hawaiians won't appreciate what they've got until they've spent a hot muggy summer in South Georgia. Below the Nat line, no less. Or a sub-zero winter in frozen Wisconsin. My point is, is that we're all so fickle, aren't we? We don't appreciate a thing until we first have to live without it for a while. And given this very human tendency, wouldn't it be horrible of God if He just set us down right from the beginning in a perfect utopia? Just give us, put us right down into paradise? That would, have been, that would be cruel of God. For after a few weeks of paradise, we'd be complaining, wouldn't it? If that's all we knew. Understand, if you had nothing to compare it to, even perfection loses its luster in a short time. And if you're dissatisfied with perfect, where do you go from there? Let me suggest, God knows exactly what He's doing. And by allowing us what amounts to just a few seconds in a fallen world and experiencing a little bit of suffering, He's enhancing and securing for us our eternal enjoyment of heaven. God is sweetening the sweet by priming us with a taste for the sour. Paul refuses to lose heart because he contrasts the outer man 
that's perishing with the inward man that's being renewed. Because he contrasts the momentary sufferings with the weight of his eternal reward. But there's a third contrast that causes Paul to take heart. It's when he contrasts the things that are visible with the things that are invisible. Paul says it in verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul had faith to see beyond what can be seen. Let me warn you of a mistake we all make. We all assume that this world that we live in, this tangible world, is the real world. But not so. This this world is merely a shadow. It's a dollhouse full of toy types which have a dim reflection of the real thing. The real McCoys lie just beyond the curtain. Earth's joys are a diluted version of heavenly highs. Earth's sin-inflicted pain is a feeble forewarning of the punishments of hell. This life is just pre-season. Eternity is, where the final, is, is finally where the games start to count. Warren Wiersbe writes this, If we would only see the visible world the way God wants us to see it, we would never be attracted by what it offers. Get your eyes on the invisible, and you'll see through this world's facade. In Hebrews 11, verse 26, we're told how Moses refuted and refused the temptations of Egypt. He, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Eyes of faith. See things unseen. When you look through this world's illusions, partaking of its pleasures are like nibbling on a waxed apple. They're fake. They're phony. They're spiritually tasteless. Your taste buds were made for deeper enjoyment. Again, C.S. Lewis wrote, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us, we are far too easily pleased. Remember, material stuff can only can never, material stuff can never satisfy a spiritual need. That's why we call it stuff. It just stuffs us. It never satisfies. It always leaves us empty and wanting more. Remember, the tangible world around us is only an illustration. It's a visual aid to help us grasp realities of an invisible, spiritual, deeper realm. For example, a mother's love speaks to us of God's tenderness. A father's guidance depicts God's tireless concern. A child's trust is seen as a lesson in saving faith. You remember Jesus said that to inherit the kingdom, you need the faith of a child. Ephesians 5 reminds us that the romance between a husband and a wife is an introduction to the potentials for intimacy that exists between Christ and His church. According to Scripture, a raging river or a brisk breeze should whet our appetites for the Holy Spirit. A rainbow reminds us of God's faithfulness. A sunrise speaks of His enduring mercy. A lightning bolt alerts us to His soon return. A sunset warns us of His coming judgment. See, when we look behind the symbols, 
to the substance. We see the point of the lesson. We see the meaning of real life. Paul tells us not to look to the things that are seen, but the unseen. The Greek term translated look is the word scopus, from which we get our word scope, like the scope on a rifle or like to scope something out. Paul is saying we need to focus our attention on the invisible world. We need to fix our mind on spiritual realities like love and mercy and fellowship and faithfulness and integrity. The spiritual issues of our life shouldn't be just passing fancies or hobbies. Things that we play with for a while until we have to get back to work. No, we need to zero in on the spiritual realities. We need to live our lives fixated on what's true and timeless and eternal. Elsewhere, Paul says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. How often have you thought about spiritual things this week? Even in the physical circumstances that preoccupy us and demand our daily attention, we need to always be on the lookout for the hand of God. You never know when God might intervene in our circumstances. He may want to bless you or use you or redirect you. See, the reason Paul takes heart rather than lose heart is his ability to see beyond the visible to the invisible. Remember, we've been given a promise God is faithful to fulfill His promise. The best is yet to come. But in the meantime, don't get discouraged by the poop. Remember, it takes the manure for us to mature. Let me warn you, get caught up in the outward and the cosmetic, the here and now, the visible and tangible, and you'll lose heart. You'll get discouraged. Better to see life from an inward, eternal, spiritual perspective. God is faithful to empower and encourage us if we maintain the right outlook, live from the inside out, think eternal, not temporal, look to the unseen, not the seen, and you'll take heart, not lose heart.